as I go back and retrieve the words from Kohelet, how do we bring that sense of time, that sense of space into this moment, into the now, when we have been coming through Sukkot? It's interesting, you know, I always say at the end of the service, because it's one of my little things I think is true, is that we have to end strong. And Sukkot is kind of unique with ending strong by actually having an entirely different holiday. And as you well know, there's no real reason given for the holiday. And of course, we want to fill the space with our explanations of it, our, our certainty that we know what it is, similarly to how we fill the space of this four sabbatical year with busyness and normalcy, rather than sometimes accepting the gift of living in a forced rest, which Sheminyat Sarah kind of does, right? We've, we opened the gates at Rosh Hashanah and we've been on this journey of the 10 days of awe and then we headed right to our Sukkot. It's like traveling, it's like going traveling. So when like you're traveling, it's the sukkah is like that. It's like staying in the hostel or the hotel. Everything is new. Everything is in the moment. You meet new travelers along the way and you invite them in and you're trying to live in this present moment. And it's also kind of uncomfortable. We always want to say, I always want to say the sukkah is so beautiful. You're close to nature, but it's actually very vulnerable. And there's a lot of discomfort in, in the sukkah. And I think that's on purpose. You're not supposed to be too comfortable after Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah in, because you'll go back to your old ways. So like traveling, the new experiences, being in the present moment, being new to yourself in some ways, allowing yourself to be new is made possible by the discomfort of being out of your normal place. And then you have Sheminyat Seret. So you're back in this kind of forced rest of stop. Let the whole show go on as if the rest of the world is going on, but you have a sacred space with no clear explanation except to be here, make your offering. You can sit in your sukkah, but you don't say the blessing for it. And you claim a new kind of time and space with no filling it with reasons and stuff to do at that time. It's a sense you've been like on this journey of vacation and then you end strong with the sense of stillness and of closure. So the motion of Sukkot just stops. You say a Shehechianu and you're not sure why. You know you're supposed to feel something now, but the Torah doesn't give you the words. You read Kohelet and you learn that whatever you're feeling right now, it's nothing new. And you go from the present moment to this strange eternal moment. And you somehow are supposed to find clarity in not having any direction. And at that moment, we remember them. We invite them into our space. It's not the new Ushpizim, the new people who've wandered down the street, the new friends, the new people we've met along our new travels. It's, and it's not the matriarchs and patriarchs stuck on our sukkah walls in effigy. Those have fallen to the ground by this time with the wind and the rain. We invite in those who are always by our side in this kind of timeless space and time that we're always living when we stop. And these spirits come in and they're not in effigy. They're the spirits of our loved ones. 
It's not the present moment people, but the people who are always accompanying us on this journey, our constant conversation partners under the sun. Never knew are they, or in their newness the same as they were. They do not change under the sun, but they look at us perpetually, asking how we have changed and also how we have not changed. It's like God and they are looking at us to find out how we have changed and what our philosophy is to start the clock on the new year. And the gates finally close and we greet the new season and we stop the Psalm of Repentance. So I'm gonna read a poem by Louise Gluck who just won the Nobel Prize. She's Jewish, her, her, her father comes from Hungarian Jews, her mother from Ashkenazim. And growing up on Long Island, she experienced severe anorexia in high school. And it also affected the fact that she couldn't finish college at Columbia. Uh, and she spent about six, seven years in deep therapy. And it helped explore for her, her relationship with her mother and also her relationship with her older sibling who had died before she was born. And by delving into that death of a person who accompanied her family, but whom she never knew, she unlocked the secret to her healing. In this poem that was published in the Paris Review in the fall of 2018, it's called The Denial of Death. And it's also called A Travel Diary. It's not really about traveling, it's about traveling life without someone who has died that you love someone who accompanied you on a journey, but then moves forward while you remain for this extra time, stuck in the last place that you were with them, that sukkah without a blessing, without the new people, stuck just with their memory, but not able to follow them forward. And I hope it means as much to you as it does to me. The Denial of Death, A Travel Diary. I had left my passport at an inn we stayed at for a night or so, whose name I couldn't remember. This is how it began. The next hotel would not receive me. A beautiful hotel in an orange grove with a view of the sea. How casually you accepted the room that would have been ours. And later, how merrily you stood on the balcony, pelting me with foil wrapped chocolates. The next day you resumed the journey we would have taken together. As I was forced to stay, the concierge procured an old blanket for me. By day, I sat outside the kitchen. By night, I spread my blanket among the orange trees. Every day was the same. There's nothing new under the sun. Every day was the same, except for the weather. After a time, the staff took pity on me. A busboy would bring me food from the evening meal, the odd potato or bit of lamb. Sometimes a postcard arrived. On the front, glossy landmarks and works of art. Once a mountain covered in snow. After a month or so, there was a postscript. So-and-so sends regards. I say a month, but really I had no idea of time. The busboy disappeared. There was a new busboy. Then one more, I believe. From time to time, one would join me on my blanket. 
and presume these are companions in life. I love those days, each one exactly like its predecessor. There were the stone steps we climbed together and the little town where we had breakfasted. Very far away, I could see the cove where we used to swim, but not hear anymore the children calling out to one another, nor hear you anymore asking me if I would like a cold drink, which I always would. When the postcards stopped, I read the old ones again. I saw myself standing under the balcony in that rain of foil-covered kisses, unable to believe you would abandon me, begging you, of course, though not in words. The concierge, I realized, had been standing beside me. Do not be sad, he said. You have begun your own journey, not into the world like your friend, but into yourself and your memories. As they fall away, perhaps you will attain that enviable emptiness into which all things flow, like the empty cup in the Tao Te Ching. Everything is changed, he said, and everything is connected. Also, everything returns, but what returns is not what went away. We watched you walk away down the stone steps and into the little town. I felt something true had been spoken. And though I would have preferred to have spoken it myself, I was glad at least to have heard it. In the second part, the story of my passport. My passport came back, but you did not come back. It happened as follows. One day an envelope arrived bearing stamps from a small European Republic. This the concierge handed me with an air of great ceremony. I tried to open it in the same spirit. Inside was my passport. There was my face or what had been my face at some point deep in the past. But I had parted ways with it. That face smiling with such conviction filled with all the memories of our travels together and our dreams of other journeys, and I threw it into the sea. It sank immediately, downward, downward, while I continued staring into the empty water. All this time, the concierge was, wa concierge was watching me. Come, he said, taking my arm. And we began to walk around the lake, as was my daily habit. I see, he said, that you no longer wish to resume your former life, to move, that is, in a straight line, as time suggests we do, but rather, here he gestured toward the lake, in a circle, which aspires to that stillness at the heart of things, though I prefer to think it resembles also a clock. It's Shemini to me. Here he took out of his pocket the large watch that was always with him. I challenge you, he said, to tell looking at this, whether it's Monday or Tuesday. But if you look at the hand that holds it, you will realize that I am not a young man anymore. My hair is silver, nor will you be surprised to learn it was once dark, as yours must have been dark and curly, I would say. Through this recital, we were both watching a group of children playing in the shallows, each body circled by a rubber tube. 
red and blue, green and yellow, a rainbow of children splashing in the clear lake. I could hear the clock ticking, presumably alluding to the passage of time while in fact annulling it. You must ask yourself, he said, if you deceive yourself, by which I mean looking at the watch and not looking at the hand holding it. We stood a while staring at the lake, each of us thinking our own thoughts. But isn't the life of the philosopher, to me this is Kohela, but isn't the life of the philo philosopher exactly as you describe, I said, going over the same course, waiting for truth to disclose itself? But you have stopped making things, he said, which is what the philosopher does. Remember when you kept what you called your travel journal? You used to read it to me. I remember it was filled with stories of every kind, mostly love stories and stories about loss, punctuated with fantastic details, such as wouldn't occur to most of us. And yet hearing them, I had a sense I was listening to my own experience, but more beautifully related than I could ever have done. Kohela, I felt you were talking to me or about me, though I never left your side. What was it called? A travel diary, I think you said, though I often called it the denial of death after Ernest Becker. And you had an odd name for me, I remember. Concierge, I said. Concierge is what I called you. And before that, my name for you was you, which is, I believe, a convention in fiction. We sit in our sukkah, in the timeless space of Kohelet. We invite in the spirits of those that are always by our side. We say the special prayer that is designated for them and the way we try to give of ourselves and live righteously under the sun in a way that would honor them. <laughs> 